Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Well, guys, this is it. You know, on a day where I should be, I think, the the most excited a man has ever been. You know, more exciting than, than one's own wedding day. You know, I'm on the eve of becoming a dad. And here I am wondering how the hell the Cincinnati Bearcats just lost to Temple. And dare I might say, again? It just got swept by Temple, Hummer. Swept. What? And look, we're going, we're going off. Do you have anything else? Do you have anything else to say with your introduction? I apologize. That's how that's how shaken and triggered and and just devastated we all are by being swept by Temple this season. Swept by Temple. The Bengals, you know, lose the Super Bowl, but the shining light, the shining night comes through. John Cunningham saves the day. With some some gorgeous news that leaves every single Bearcat sports fan saying, "God damn, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan." You brought it back around, buddy. That was well done. <laughs> left it on a high. Left us feeling good. I appreciate that. We're also joined Hummer this week for the entire podcast by noted friend and contributor and and just Bearcat fan extraordinaire, the Councilman is back on the podcast. Joe Barnett is on the pod. Welcome, Joe. This will be a little less strange than The Rock's intro at the Super Bowl. But finally, the councilman has come back to the Cincy Slang and Bearcats podcast. I've been meaning to go back and re-watch The Rock because I must say I wasn't, I hadn't really sat down and settled in and really, you know, embrace the moment. I was still air frying some chicken wings at that point. I saw the outfit. I saw the close-up on the bicep. All those things looked solid, you know, two different shades of burgundy, an interesting look. But, you know, what was going on there with The Rock? Like, what made it so weird, Joe, as someone who seems to have appreciated that performance? I just wasn't, I wasn't expecting Dwayne The Rock Johnson to be out there giving some very offhanded like hyperbole about each team and you know the stuff he was saying just really didn't make sense but at the end of the day he is the rock i loved every second of what he was saying it was glorious uh nfl films put out a pretty sweet tweet this week uh detailing like some of the players on the sideline and uh they were just as perplexed as we are so that's the best (laughs) part of it Here's the thing. Are, are we sure we're actually glad The Rock was there? I mean, is, is Dwayne Johnson actually good? We've had a little too much Dwayne Johnson in our lives, right? Oh, no. No. Always room for more, you know, whatever ballers in my life, you know, bring, bring that show to me. Some San Andreas. All right. I'm here for that really terrible movie about an earthquake. Okay. I'm here for the pacifier you know, where the rock is rocking a minivan, but anything with the rock and Kevin Hart legitimately is hysterical. Uh, but you know what? We've had way too much Dwayne, the rock Johnson 
talk on this podcast. Have we? Because I, I, I also want to push back. You're saying the benefit of The Rock is that we also get more Kevin Hart. Those are two of the most overplayed and overused actors of our generation. It's it's disgusting, and I'm tired of it. They're not used enough. Get them off my TV. I Ooh, want I, to see none of them anymore. More. more. I have a very important question. If they if we were making a movie about this Bearcats basketball team, <laughs> would Kevin Hart be playing David Julius and why? I feel like that's a comment on on the height there, and that's the only thing those two probably have in common. Uh, Are we sure? Because I've the... seen I've seen Kevin Hart's uh, celebrity All Star Game performances, and it's a lot of isolation basketball. It's a lot of mid range jumpers. It's a, it's a lot of step backs. It's a good handle. There's some there's some similarities there, Joe. I think that's a great call. Maybe the the, the simula- similarities, you know, you know, start with the with the actual game that they play, but you know, personality wise, but you know, well, but would the rock also be playing Wes Miller? <laughs> Ooh, I, uh, Oh yeah. Oh, I ready. mean, I, I imagine the, the rock, rock would be fired, fired up. up. Here's the thing that the rock and Wes Miller have in common. Both of them have their catchphrases, their, their claims to fame, and they, they tend to stick to them. And and they've got a character, and they continue to play it over and over again. And you know whether or not it it wears on you probably depends on the the how much you enjoy uh, the 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 product in the theaters or on the court. So um, rough transition. I do also want to point out, Hummer, and we'll we'll get into the basketball team. We're obviously going to start with the basketball team today. They're gone. I, I apologize for the long introduction, but it is nice to know that this is the day before. This is being re- recorded the day before. Um, Hummer officially becomes a father, and it's nice to know that this we will hope. be this moment we will hope. be captured. <laughs> True, if it drags on for a long time, I I would be sad for your wife. But let's just let's assume everything goes. Gonna, I just want to throw this out there: like this is a this is a the, the date is on Tuesday. All right, you guys do the math on on what that date is. Okay, it's a good date. It's a good date. Alas, let's get it. in. Let's talk about this team in earnest. Let's actually, let's start talking some actual hoops and what we're seeing on the court and, and where things are falling here for the Cincinnati Bearcats team. Um, Bearcats fall to 17 and 10 after a home loss to Temple, 75-71. The Bearcats trailed by 14 at halftime. They gave up a 47-point half to Temple in that first half. And it's a, it's a theme that is, come to happen far too often, which is the Bearcats start slow, fall into a big deficit, continue to fight, continue to play hard, continue to make an effort to get back in the game. They usually get back into said game, generally comes up short in those situations, and we find ourselves on the losing end. Um, Before that Temple game, Cincinnati had a home win, an impressive win against Wichita State, where they went up by 21 in that first half, saw that lead, you know, evaporate, but then did play a very strong second half in that game. Uh, but obviously it's been a lot of up and down. There's been losses to Tulsa and losses to Memphis and now Temple at home. Hummer, I'll start with you. Where, where do we go from here, buddy? We're 17 to 10. Obviously out large hopes went out the window a long time ago and we're seeing the team not improve. The, the play on the court is not improving. And so when we talked earlier in the season about evaluating them based on the process, based on improving throughout the season, based on trying to peak 
as we head into the American Athletic Tournament, that's not happening. This team is not peaking. They are regressing. Uh, defensively, we're not getting stops. Offensively, the struggles continue. How are you wrapping your head around what happened today against Temple and the Bearcats team at large? Well, the, the truth is I still haven't quite wrapped my head around losing to Temple twice uh, in, one, one, in one season. Uh, actually, I don't think we had lost to Temple twice since we joined the American. Uh, we may have just doubled that. What, what I'm kind of thinking, though, is I'm like looking back on, you know, this game, looking back a little bit even to the victory against, uh, or I want to say the victory, but the loss against Memphis, the loss against Tulsa, where we're giving up 80 points, 83, 81, losing to Houston, giving up 80 points. You know, even against Wichita State, we gave up 76 points. Today, we gave up 75. It, it looks like a defense that's just hapless. You know, there's there's nothing going there's nothing going going their way, uh, and it's almost like I'm seeing a lot of the exact kind of same mental lapses that we saw from last year's team, and it leads me to think that maybe it does have to do with the the talent on the roster, and maybe a little bit of a misevaluation from the original recruiting rankings that we were also highly hanging our our heads on, and I think you put this when we talked about this the other day maybe getting a little too wrapped up in, in Brandon's recruiting prowess with the fact that he did land a stud in Tari Eason, you know, who's, who's since left the program, but I'm just looking at it. And I'm like, I don't know where, where to begin, except that look, we, this is a rebuild. I think it's, it's official. And if anybody has, you know, any doubts about that, I think that's what we're, in, we're, we're looking at here is it's a rebuild. Um, you know, we, I'm not ready to sit here and throw the towel in on, on Wes in any way, shape or form. I'm not ready to throw the towel in on these players, you know, but it, it, you know, push comes to shove, the team's is not very good. Where where do you stand, Joe? Um, I mean, it's it's impossible to disagree with the statement that this team is not very good because they have since the new year they're seven and seven, right? We've we've played fourteen conference games uh, in in twenty twenty two. Bearcats are seven and seven in those games. Over the last eight games, they're three and five, which includes losses away at Temple home to Houston, at Tulsa, home to Memphis, and now home to Temple with wins against East Carolina, South Florida, and Wichita State. It's ugly, and it's been ugly now for going on a month where after that first Tulsa win at home, a 90-69 to victory, we start envisioning a world where the Bearcats can actually take this thing on a run, you know, lock in defensively. We start defensively. We've got the pieces in place to at least be a competitive and elite defensive team within this conference. This is not a punishing Big 12 or or SEC conference. This is the American Athletic that, yes, the the bottom of the barrel has improved uh, marginally, but in terms of where the cream of the crop is, it's, it's not a very devastating conference at this point. And Therefore, you should be able to rip off a lot of wins. But here we are now losing games that we would have never expected to lose, even in a year where you've got a transition roster and a new head coach. These losses are not pretty. So where do you stand, Joe? This team has been pretty disappointing down the stretch. Um, you know, they looked, like you said, they looked pretty good coming out of that Tulsa game. And then, you know, you cough up one at the Leah Chorus Center with the worst view in ESPN Plus history. 
And then, you know, obviously the game against Houston, you kind of pencil that one in as a loss, come home, beat USF, and then lose to Tulsa, lose to Memphis, and then another loss to Temple. It's just, I think we're we're kind of seeing how this team that had to get built after, you know, a lot of the transfers had happened and, you know, a lot of the commitments had already happened. We're seeing that team just struggle and kind of toil around in mediocrity in the American. And, you know, as it, as it stands, the Americans a two, maybe three bid league. So if you're not at the top, you're, you're not going to have much luck. So, and I'm not feeling too, not feeling too confident going down the stretch either with this team. I think people figured out how to beat them. They can't really rebound. They don't shoot very well. They don't play defense very well. They don't shoot free throws. I'm, I'm not really sure what they do well. And, and I don't know how much of that's on Wes Miller and his staff and how much of it's on the talent level. So this year's probably going to be a wash. And hopefully we see some of these things kind of settle themselves after the season. We got three freshmen committed so far. We're going to need some big transfers if we're going to make some noise next season. There's going to be a time on this podcast to get into next season. I'm not going to jump right there. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of interesting observations you can make about this recent stretch of basketball and some things that, to me, jump out, right? I want to be fair, and we obviously know that, we, you know, Wes Miller, this is not a one-year and, and get-to-the-NCAA tournament type of expectation. I think I was more bullish on the team's potential preseason based on a few factors based on the thought that I, I thought the roster construction was such that it would, would placate to, or not placate to, but um, it would lend itself to being a very good defensive team. I thought there was a path for this being a top-level American athletic defensive roster this season based on having rim protection and Koval and Adu, based on having you know guys in the backcourt who have defending capabilities, and, and also based on... Wes Miller's calling card being a defensive coach early in the season. We saw this team overwhelm some very good competition such as Illinois with very good defensive performances. And that those felt like the beginning of what would be a roster that would just wear down opponents as the season went, has gone on. The more concerning trend to me is that defensively we're getting worse, but we're getting worse against teams. We're seeing a second time. We're seeing Memphis have an easier time with us in that second matchup on our home court. We're seeing Temple have an easier time with us the second time on our home court. We're seeing Tulsa have an easier time with us that second time around. I, I'm not sure what to make of it exactly, but it does feel like we are in a situation where teams are adjusting to what the Cincinnati Bearcats are doing offensively and more importantly, defensively, and there hasn't been a counterpunch from Wes Miller and his staff to throw a new wrinkle or a new look or a new style into the fold that might make them you know, continue to be effective against pretty mediocre competition. I think that today was a perfect example. At the end of the game, I think we're down you know, seven, and we've actually held Temple to quite a few stops in a row. And on the on each of those stops we we had a a, a basically an air ball uh three-pointer by jeremiah davenport that hits just the backboard uh, 
Then we have David Julius try to penetrate, but there's three defenders in the, in the lane and he gets stuffed. Then we have another, another situation where we, we, once again, we actually have the lane open, but Newman elects to shoot for a three ball. And it's like the, the shot that we seem to be going to is we're looking for three point opportunities. And not only when we're shooting them, we're shooting them off balance. We're shooting them with someone's hand in our face. Uh, you know, they're just, just, just not ideal situations to be shooting three pointers. And if we just drove the lane a little harder in the end of that game, get some, two, get some more high percentage shots to fall down. This game's very winnable, but the fact that we kept continuously searching for that outside shot that was non-existent. Look, if you're shooting 25% from three, that's, it's not, it's not, it is, it is less, less than ideal. You, you can't be doing that. You have to find a different way to get better, more high percentage shots. This team doesn't have a, a second option though. Like they're, they're the plan of attack for this team this season has been, did we make our threes or did we not? Because if we made them, we're probably getting the win. And, and let's, let's talk primarily about conference schedule because the non-conference schedule by and large was weak. And there's not a lot of great measuring sticks on that schedule. But if you look at the American athletic, the known commodity, we've seen how we perform against this competition in the past. The, the offense is boomer bust based on did Jeremiah Davenport make some of his contested rushed early in the shot clock jumpers or did he not? Did David DeJulius make well, more did, step did, back three did, pointers? He did, today. he did today, but the, I'm saying it's a feast or famine roster. We've seen this team attack the rim at times and not be able to convert layups. Uh, we've seen this team not have an interior presence or, or have an interior guy to throw the ball into. Um, so I do think I, there's an understanding I have about why we do lean on the three-pointer the way we do at times because of the fact that there's just simply not a lot of other great options uh, for this team to go to offensively. Something that stood out to me in the first half is, is tempo at a possession where they broke one – a guard got the ball in the wing, broke the defense down, drives the lane, Bearcats rotate. He kicks the ball out to the corner. We have a good rotation. Contest the corner. Contest the corner. He swings it to the wing. We also have that rotation in line. Temple then swings the ball again to a wide-open three-point shooter who knocks it down. It's a good, good offensive play. It wasn't the worst defensive execution. Temple made the good passes, quick passes. That is a possession that I have simply not seen from the Bearcats this entire season. We do not rotate the ball quickly. Our players do not make quick decisions with the ball. And, and I do chalk that up in large part to our two leading scorers, David DeJulius and, and Jeremiah Davenport. When the ball swings to them, they're not thinking about what the best possible play is or, or decision is at that exact moment. The first thought for both of those players at any given time is when I get the ball, can I get a shot up? Can I get a shot up for myself in this specific moment? And let me make sure I exhaust that option first. And if not, then I will pass the ball. So we are always passing the ball from a, from a, from a position of weakness, from a position of, okay, my isolation didn't work in this case. Kick it back out to Micah Adams Woods, kick it back out to Mike Saunders Jr. Kick it back, back out to John Newman. And let's see what they can do one-on-one. We don't move the ball. We don't see the ball popping around the perimeter. We are not making quick decisions. Wes Miller has not been able to establish any sort of plan of attack offensively in my mind. 
any credence to this, Joe? Is this something that am I, am I is this unfounded? Is it is it wrong? Is it off the mark? Or, or am I you know, am I onto something here? I think you're barking up the right tree. And I'm I'm over here looking at uh, some of our team statistics at the moment. So no one, you no, don't need to look no, at statistics. Well, no. Come on, statistics don't tell the story. No, definitely gut not. Feel. Just gut feel. <laughs> Giggle with your gut. I, I'll say this. <laughs> this team just can't get inside and score. I mean, and and what I'm seeing on the stat lines proving that. They don't really have an alpha type score. Uh, I mean, Davenport is feast or famine, kind of like you guys say, like the rest of the team is. And, you know, David DeJulius would be a great, like, number two guy. And Davenport would be, like, a great number three guy. But, you know, right now DeJulius is kind of our alpha guy, and that's not really what he's built to do. And, you know, I think Davenport's playing a little out of position and out of his skill level. And, you know, Mike Adams-Woods is probably a guy that you're not leaning on too heavily, ideally. So, just this team is just not good and it sucks to watch Davenport Davenport seems to have has seems to have shed his egoless ego and developed a massively inflated ego and start and it seems to be playing a, a style of ball that resembles incredible selfishness and it's a shame because there there's you know that's not the role that probably suits him you know, best in the long run in terms of like getting further and in, in developing the skill set that he has. Um, but, you know, like when he gets the ball and like you just see some of these shots that he jacks up and, you know, it's a three pointer where he's leaning forward and the legs kicked to his, both his legs are kicked in opposite directions. And so, you know, he didn't even take time to get set when he has time to even get set or, you know, like you're like Coomer's mentioning, you don't have, he's not making that extra pass. When you look at the shots today and you look to our box score, you have John Newman with nine shots. You have Davenport with 14. Mike Adams Woods with 15. David DeJoyce with 15. After that, you go down and it's zero, zero, four, two, three, four, zero. No one else is taking shots on this team at a high rate. You got three people who are ball dominant, ball hogs, and tend to want to play ISO ball and 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 don't want to don't want to look for that extra outlet. And that's why this team is so easy to figure out. It's put some pressure on these guys because if they don't make the three, we're going to win the game. The game plan is not hard for other teams to figure out. And that's why we're losing to teams with inferior talent, at least from our perspective, uh, being inferior talent, but it's, it's too simple when you have three guys who don't want to, who don't want to go and and I don't want to say they don't want to go. Maybe this is the plan. Maybe this is the game plan is to lean on these guys. But I I think if that is the game plan, we need to, it's not working. It, It needs to be changed. The, the counterpoint to that, that folks would, would tend to say is that, look, if it's not Jeremiah Davenport, if it's not David DeJulius, who's going to do it? Where are the points going to come from? And I think there is some validity to that. I also think that the Wichita State game, a performance that, that many will say disappointed in giving up the original lead, but the fact is the Bearcats came out in the second half and had the game in their control the entire time. In that game, the shot distribution was more balanced than, than we had seen, I would say, probably all season. Without fact-checking this, it felt balanced, and it looked balanced. Um, Abdullah Dew shot six times. Newman, six times. Davenport, nine times. Adams Woods, ten times. DeJulius, eight. Oguama, seven. Koval, three. 
Madsen four, Saunders five. You had one guy taking 10 shots, a ton of balance outside of that. And maybe it's a coincidence. Bearcats shoot 55% in that game, their highest mark of the season. They only take 19 shots from three in that game, shoot 57%. The shot selection from three was outstanding. Every, basically every three-point shot we took, except for Jeremiah's early in the shot clock, three-point heave uh, with about three minutes left. All like, I would say 18 of the three-pointers were really good shots. Otherwise, we are playing a style of basketball that's that's very me. Let me get mine. Let me be the hero of this team. It's hero ball. We're playing a version of hero ball with guys who are not capable of being offensive heroes. There are not guys here who can carry an offensive load like the like Jaron Cumberland could. Um, you know, in coach terms, you oftentimes hear the phrase, this team you need is, to coach speak. <laughs> in coach speak. Well, like when you're evaluating a team, you'll say, this team is greater than the sum of its parts. I know people have a lot of issues with the talent. They're going to nitpick players and what they can't do. I'm not completely out on all the guys on this team in the same way that I feel like some of the fan base is, but I do think that this team has been lesser than the sum of its parts. I, I do imagine. not feel like Wes Miller and his right. staff have maximized everything we could get out of this roster. It may, even if they were maximizing it, it may have not been a tournament team. It may have been a team that would that would end up number four, number five in the conference, play really good defensive basketball, but simply not have enough offensive firepower to really be a threat come March. But but I think what we're seeing instead is we're seeing a team that is now floundering a bit defensively. They're not bringing the same attention to detail on that end. They're not being as locked down. They're 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 having teams like Temple and Tulsa. And Memphis, that frankly is is not a good offensive executing team. That's not a team you you know for their execution. You know them for your talent, but not execution. And we're seeing them, these teams have their way with us defensively. So I feel like looking at it from that perspective, you know, evaluating the coach's performance this season, I do feel like this is one where where Wes Miller has struggled to crack the code with this roster and is not getting everything possible that he can out of this team. But just to, to kind of re, uh, let me let me reinforce this point real quick. You're talking about the shot distribution and go back to Tulsa, and it's the same. The Holy Trinity, Javenport, Ma, and DeJulius, taking 49 of our 74 shots for from the field for 37 percent. Yeah, atrocious when you're considering that those are those are the uh, the the primary in this case offensive drivers. Now I'm actually not going to go in and, and fault the Julius that game. He did he actually had a good shooting game um, all around. You know, you know, okay. But when you have those are the three guys, and you said it's it's me ball, and you're popping up 49 shots, you're making a 36 combined of them. You got to find some, some you got to find offense from somewhere else. And the fact that we're not penetrating, we have zero inside game. And the other thing that's kind of, you know, to me that stands out, these guys like the Julius, I feel like he should be, uh, he should be able to create for others. And I just, I don't think we're seeing that from him lately. And that's another major disappointment is that we're not seeing him, you know, like Jaron Cumberland was also great. And we're not, I'm not trying to compare the two necessarily, but Jaron Cumberland was great as a primary like score threat, but also the four general because he created for others as well. And you would, I would like to see DeJulius being able to do that more and create shots and, and be able to, to open up other opportunities for other players instead of, you know, trying to be the, the hero all the time. Well, we and, actually, that, and that goes for Maul and, and Davenport as well. 
we did see DeJulius with six assists against Wichita State, only took eight shots. That was a great example of, of playmaker DeJulius. We've talked about him in the past on the podcast that we, we, we were kind of missing him. We're not getting playmaker DeJulius this year as much. And, and I'm not going to blame that on DeJulius. I think that the, the coaching staff is very much clear in what they're asking of him. They're asking him to be a scorer. They moved him off the ball. They wanted to see him in, in more of a scoring role. And I think that the challenge that is presented for DeJulius is he hasn't been able to find the balance of attacking, scoring. But here, I can also draw the defense and create for someone else. Joe, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I imagine uh, Wes Miller sitting in uh, team meetings and saying, you've got potential and you've got potential (laughs) and you've got potential. I mean, this team is what it is at this point. And I love it. You know, I love these guys. I appreciate them fighting hard for us, but at the end of the day, there's just some of these guys just aren't American level players. He inherited a roster. He had to put one together at the last minute and it's showing and uh, I hate it. So I uh, I did spend most of my game just hanging out with a couple friends in the Overlook Bar today, so wasn't really committed to watching after they went down big early in the first half. But uh, I will say, at the end of the day, I'm not quite fired up like I was at the beginning of the season. I the sense I'm getting from folks. I feel like can we're. I, le- can I get? Can I give some optimism here for everybody? I I, I got some. Well, I yeah, got an give it. Give us. A, give us a dash of optimism, but then I want to get into some of the more big picture talk with how people are evaluating well, this will, this West will, Miller this, this year. This will. This will really help, I think, with the big picture talk. Like we're comparing right now. We're we're comparing West Miller to, ironically, kind of two coaches, right? The ghost of of since he coaches past. You know, obviously you have Cronin who was, who was held to the standard Bob Huggins, which is our gold standard for us recent, recent memory. But we have John Brandon, John Brandon's team last year had Tari Eason on it with basically the core of what Wes Miller took over, right? The composite, we were talking about this last year's team was barely 500. The composite strength of schedule for that team last year per Kempom was 102.3 where, or one, yeah, 102.2. Um, this year we're at 103. We're performing better with with what I perceive as a team that has slightly less talent in terms of star stud playmaker than what last year's team did. Because last year we also had we also had Williams, right? We had Mamadou Diara, who was who was you know we we had some athleticism there too. So I'm not saying that this season is a loss. I'm not sitting here saying that you know this isn't a, a yeah. Is it disappointing to lose games? Sure, but maybe this team is just right where it actually is supposed to be. It's not good. It's not terrible, but it's, it's just somewhere right in the middle of that mediocrity land. And it's okay because it is the first year it's built off transfers. We haven't seen any, you know, we haven't seen the recruiting classes come through. We're going to be fine. I'm okay with the big picture here. I'm okay with, with like, yeah, I just want to see the team play better. I want to see some, some movement on offense I want to see some people being more distributors as opposed to just me, me, me ball. And I want to see the guys hustle on defense. I want to see them diving after loose balls, a la Newman, every single play. You know, and that's, that's what I think we're lacking. I think that's what we're, we're upset with as fans that we're not seeing that. That's what we've been used to. We've been used to guys when, whether this team had no offense at all, they always 
always drilled down on defense. They always made it a tough loss. You, you didn't come in the fifth third and dog walk us like it happened today. You came in the fifth third and it was a rock fight, and chances are you were ranked or favored and you lost that game to the Bearcats at home because we held you and stifled you to defense. That's that's really where I think we're at, and that's where I'm at with this team. It's it's halfway between bad and and, and good. For, you know, it's not great at all, but halfway between bad and good. That was a great effort at, at providing some optimism, at, at providing some context for where we were last season. Um, great propaganda, I would even say. But the reality is last year's <laughs> schedule was shortened because of COVID. Uh, very very little non-conference in, t- in terms of what we had on the schedule. Uh, you had matchups against Lipscomb, Xavier, Furman, Tennessee, Georgia, and Vanderbilt toward the end of the season. You did not see any cupcakes to rack up wins on that non-conference schedule. So in terms of comparing raw numbers, careful with that. Um, we're not seeing a year-over-year jump significantly in terms of of what we're seeing on the court. So let me ask you we this. We had our conference. We had our conference to rack up cupcake wins. <laughs> Which we're not doing this season. Let me ask you this. Let I'll me ask you both this. What it's so okay. The team, the team has floundered throughout most of conference play, uh, struggled to gather momentum. Uh, we mentioned earlier, Joe made the point. I tried to make the point of of not really making adjust of not noticing adjustments and teams seeing to have an easier time against us on their second matchup. Are we seeing adjustments from Wes Miller and his staff? Like, are we seeing them experiment and try things uh, to kind of jumpstart either the offense or get the defense going or just playing with, with lineups and minutes distribution as a way to find something to find something that, that can work on an individual game basis. Are you guys seeing anything on that front? Not a lick. I mean, this team looks nearly identical as it did back when we played Tulsa the first time. I've I've not seen a lot of differences on offense. You know, it's run down the court, chuck up a three, don't get the rebound, struggle to get back on defense. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing to me, Joe. That might have been a bit of a leading question, but I we're struggling. The team is struggling right now. They're in it. You know, I don't get the sense that they're not trying. I don't get the sense that they're not working hard. I don't get the sense that the players don't want this. I saw the Wichita State game, how badly they want a crowd to rally around them. And and the crowd also wants to do that. The crowd wants to be excited. They're just not figuring out how to string together productive stretches of basketball again and again and again. I am disappointed that Wes Miller hasn't been very creative in terms of trying new things. You know, we're not seeing any sort of. I'm not saying you have to make a starting lineup change. Are we still? Are we still having? Are we still having the? Sorry, to interrupt you there, just because you're talking about the lineups. I want to ask you this question: Are we still? Is there a rumor or is this truth that we know is this fact? Is this? Does he have timed substitutions instead of strategic substitutions? I don't know exactly. Like I think none of it's on the record necessarily. Uh, I don't. I don't think that we know for sure. I don't know if any anyone's asked the question in a press conference. I would just say we see a lot of repetition game in, game out. We see essentially the same types of rotations where Jared Hensley and Victor Locken largely get their three to four minutes per game in that first half, and, the, and it comes around the same time of the game. Mike Saunders Jr. generally enters the game at 17, 18-minute mark of the first half. It, it does sound like Wes Miller has an approach of pre-scripting 
substitution patterns, and they all fall within the general same vicinity, game in, game out. I That to me, even if you are pre-scripting, why are we not trying something different during during an individual matchup where you might, you know, a game where you think Mike Saunders Jr. might have an advantage, a game where you think that, hey, you know, Odie Oguama's skill set matches up better with this lineup. Let's see what he can do with 20 minutes in this game. I don't know that we are seeing a ton of creativity from Wes Miller. And if we're evaluating our coach on, hey, when he does get talent, what are we going to see from him in terms of lineup creativity or adjustments at halftime or adjustments on a second matchup? Those are the things that have left me wanting more uh, from Wes Miller. I don't think that we're getting as much creativity or adjustments on the fly uh, or over the course of a season as I think you sometimes need, especially in a season where your team is struggling the sa- in the same exact way every single game. Yeah, I want to I want to hit a, a stat that's uh, to me is hysterical with this Temple Temple game today. How many turnovers did Temple have? Uh, total guess. I'm going to say thirteen. Close fourteen. How many turnovers did the Cats have today? Five. Usually it's around nine or ten. Five. We lost a game where we turned the ball over only five times. We had. The other, the other stat, and this is one that I think Coomer, you'll enjoy. You guys will, will recognize this as a pattern too. We take, we took fifteen more shots than Temple. Fifteen more shots. Uh, it's we're winning execution. the turnover battles in these straight games. Straight up execution. We're we're getting, we're taking shots. <laughs> we're not executing. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. That, by the way, that is something that Wes Miller saw as low-hanging fruit for this team. He instantly cl- uh, cleaned up the turnover problems. This team turned the ball over at a ridiculous clip last year. Um, <laughs> they were, they were. I mean, I think they were one of the worst teams in the country. I'm looking at it now on Ken Palm. Yeah, turnover percentage last year was 20.5%. This year, uh, got it down to 15%, which is top 20 in the country. That is, that is like a Mick Cronin light type strategy and that's really what west miller kind of advertises himself as defense defend don't turn the ball over we don't really know offensively what he wants to do um unfortunately the defensive thing is is not really being executed game in game out and in offense we know what it is so we're we kind of hey, need to move young on. guy he's still figuring it out we he is young how many deflections to... did this team have today that's what's really important <laughs> Well, we had 14 turnovers, so probably at least 14. <laughs> where do where do we go from here? Like, uh, you know, how do we – what do we do? Where, where do we even go? We're rooting for a miracle, all right? That's what we're rooting for here, all right? The the miracle – is it in Dallas? Is that where this tournament always is? It's in Fort Worth, baby. Uh, the, I think we should have entirely – we should, we should have completely moved on from any sort of even rooting for that kind of stuff. I To me – I'm so distressed. I'm never about... going to stop rooting. I'm never going to stop rooting. Of course or, you're not going to stop rooting. Or getting irrationally excited about the potential of winning a tournament that we get an invitation to. Ugh. All I'll say is I... <laughs> Hard pass. I, I, have signif- I am distressed about the lack of adjustments and the fact that our team is getting worse as the season goes along here. I am desperately looking for something to cling on to in terms of 
the coaching staff making this A, B, or C adjustment. And look, it worked against UCF or it worked to, to make it a very competitive game at Houston. And then, you know, just kind of seeing the team rally at the end of the season here, execute better, play locked in defensively and have a few hot games. That's kind of what I need at this point. I need something to bring me back to an optimistic place of, look, Wes Miller fights to the end, makes the adjustments, gets the most out of this team in, in a season that was very challenging overall. I need one thing. I'm not going to lie. This is going to sound very stupid and trivial, and every Bearcat fan in the world is going to hate me for saying this. I would quite literally be willing to trade the next three games for just straight-up guaranteed losses just for us to beat SMU again <laughs> and keep the streak alive at Moody Coliseum. The, That's I, the I, one I want. The, the one thing I can say – that is a huge positive in my mind is this team definitely doesn't seem to give up late in the game. I mean, they were down big against temple almost all day today, and then they bring it back within four. Um, you saw them bring it back against Memphis a couple of games ago. They, they do fight hard. They do play hard for Wes. Um, would you say they Joe, fight to the finish? Never Joe, give in. To be they, fair, they never give in. Joe, they fought to the finish last year. This team was mentally tough last year, despite everything it had going against it with its coach. The character on this play on this team of of the players is unquestionable. I feel like we have. That's not what we heard. That's not what we heard from the. the never mind. I don't want to go there. <laughs> okay. If you know, if you talk to establishment media or or normal functioning brained fans. You can you can see pretty clearly this is a, a team that's chock full of of upstanding good dudes. This is an easy character team to root for. They fight. They they always get you know work to the end. Last season we saw them go on a conference tournament run like that. What we don't see is execution, and what we don't see is good basketball. And it would be nice to see more of that. Well, that that I think you're right. Maybe comes down to. That's the, the fault of coaching. Um, and I'm going to give you an opportunity here, Coomer, to transition off of this, if you'd like, by mentioning the word coaching. It is time to move off of basketball. And you mentioned it at the top. But there was a lot. There was some very, very good news this week in Bearcat land. And, and I don't know if it was an accident. Um, Chad Brendel. Aaron, uh, what's Aaron's last name? Smith. I always forget his last name. Aaron Smith, such, an, such a simple last name, and I somehow forget it. Uh, Aaron Smith and Chad did a cool 12-hour marathon-type uh, podcast content, whatever you want to call it. They, they did it, it, it. I forget what it was for. Uh, but I did tune in to the Luke Fickle interview, and Luke Fickle's on a beach. He's, so he's got a beautiful backdrop, so handsome, just glowing. You know, you, you can tell he's just, He's in a great place mentally. Um, was B Fox? Was he there with him? Was Was Bernard there? <laughs> not, not with permission. He was likely like in the ferns to the side, uh, peeking through, you know, <laughs> rubbing his chest hair. It, who knows? Um, but Luke Fickle kind of told the story about giving that, you know, kind of leaking that contract announcement to Justin Williams during a sit down he had about the team, and it was just. 
I don't think it was intentional, but but announcing that the day after a Super Bowl loss was perfect. Like it was the exact pick me up that I really needed. Um, does anybody have the contract details pulled up so that we can get these right? I I have the the loose numbers, but the contract won't actually be official until when or I think it's Tuesday. The board of trustees meets and they're going to approve this bad boy. But it was uh, roughly five, a little over five million a year um, for Fick, and then I think it's five point two million a year for his staff through twenty twenty. Yeah. Big increase, big increase on that staff. And if I saw, I saw a number out there, Joe, that told me that this Fickle contract, if you put him in the Big Twelve right now, would be higher than anybody except Oklahoma and Texas. Am I right on that? I think it's actually um, also behind what TCU is paying uh, Sonny Dykes, which is kind of embarrassing, but that is a private Christian university. So they do have a little bit of uh, extra horn frog dollars flowing around. That's according to Pete, according to Pete Thamel, he, uh, you guys are right, $5 million per year, putting in behind only Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian in Big 12 salary. Not bad. Not too shabby. When you mentioned when you mentioned Sonny Dykes and TCU, the first thing that popped in my head was uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, comedian. I'm not sure if you guys watch him, but he has this kind of recurring bit online, and he always goes, aren't you embarrassed? That contract with Sonny Dykes is very much a, aren't you embarrassed contract? I mean, if that's what they want to pay him to get his lunch eaten by fickle every year, that's fine by me. Agreed. Now, th- does anybody know where, cause, uh, look, before when we were talking, going back two years ago, Michigan State's, you know, sniffing around Luke Fickle's underwear, you know, they're, they're, they're flying in private up to Lansing, Michigan, trying to convince him that Michigan doesn't smell like dirty hot dog water. And we're all down here in Cincinnati saying that, Hey, we need to, we need to figure out how to pay Luke fickle, right? We need to figure out how, how to get this man some money. And he was getting paid, I think 3.4 uh, roughly previously before this. Yep. So we're, we're giving him the raise of 1.6 where we raised the, the pool by over a million bucks. You know, we're talking, you know, 10, 10 extra million dollars over, over the next five years ish, you know, more, more than 10 million is, do we know for a fact, is this just a, we're just leveraging the big 12, big 12. I'm, I'm okay with this. Either. I'm not, not criticizing this, but is that what in fact we're doing work or did we have some big time donors step up and just say, you know what, you know, the steps in and, and goes, Hey Luke, <sighs> I know you're a family man. So you're not going to, you're not going to bang my wife. So, uh, <laughs> I got, I got some contract extension money for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know that they're leveraging. I'm, I'm, that's the a future. little, that's a little reference. To- yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> easy. God. Just let it. Good uh, Lord. Oh man. <laughs> this guy having a baby and just letting it all out there now. No filter anymore. So. <laughs> I, uh, I I have to say, I, I don't know if if they're leveraging the Big 12 money. I would imagine probably not because we don't really know what that contract looks like. I would have to think that they're probably taking some of that money that's come in on the next level success fund and the day one ready fund. Uh, I think all of this was like kind of part of that $100 million they were trying to raise. 
So I don't know if it's, you know, the sum of, of the parts or if it's you tell me the practice facility, the practice facility really only costs 75 million, but they, they put the price tag of hundred because, Hey guys, we're going to, we're going to sneak. Well, little, little there, there's actually a lot of stuff in that day one ready hundred million dollar campaign. That wasn't just uh, the practice facility. That's awesome. There was uh, some coaching stuff. Uh, I think there was money in there for NIL type stuff, like getting some counselors for that. And then uh, they put money in there to get a sports psychology staff. They're going to have a full-time psychiatrist available for the athletes. So there was a lot of stuff that came into that hundred million dollars, but I think the practice facility is like probably 60 million of it. So it's pretty significant. That is dope. Uh, I'm wondering if, if you're, if you're pretty, is there anything earmarked for basketball, uh, improvements, uh, there were you know, in terms of being day one ready for, for big, there 12? were men's and women's locker room improvements in that as well, that I think were supposed to be part of the original arena, uh, redo that got like cut towards the end. Okay, we're gonna have to cut out this pause. Uh, well, so I guess my next question then, and I'm just gonna guess, I'm just gonna keep probing you then. Um, you do the coffees with Cunningham, is that correct? Um, have you guys broached the topics of like NAL? Have you guys talked about what is going on at other schools? Has has he brought it up, or is this something that we're gonna have to bring up as fans? Because you know, I don't know if you guys heard, or you know, Kuma and I kind of talked about it a little bit on the last podcast with with Dan Dan and in uh in the Spencer room. But Spencer Ben. We Spencer were, <laughs> did I say the wrong? Spencer Ben. Dan, Dan Spencer Ben. Tucker Dan Men. The Spencer Man, 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 man. Spencer no, Tucker. I'm trying to do the book. Tucker, Spencer Tucker. Tucker Dan. Yeah. Spencer Man. Tucker Man. <laughs> Spencer Man. Oh, varsity. Oh, varsity. Uh, but we were alluding to the Tennessee deal. The Tennessee uh, basically came out and said that they're raising, you know, it was $3 million and it was $4 million. Now it's $25 million that they're trying to raise in donations from the school to set up NIL deals for their students. And that that's something that apparently is happening at every SEC school in the NIL arms race. Has he talked about that? Or do we know anything about what maybe the university's plans are? Do they have any in terms of creating the NIL slush fund internally? Well, technically per the NCAA rules, the university isn't allowed to be involved. So as we all know, rules are meant to be broken and it's all about skirting those rules, you know, unless you're Louisville, just getting caught doing everything wrong. But he, he has addressed it in some of this coffee with Cunningham's. Um, I know that they partnered with a couple different like groups that have focused on this NIL stuff. Like they signed up with this group named Brander that's going to allow them to use the university marks and some of their NIL deals going forward. I just, I don't see at least as of right now, you see getting into that big 25, $50 million type LLC setup that, you know, Texas A&M and Tennessee are doing to get those elite five-star recruits. I don't, I don't know how tenable that's going to be long-term. I don't know if the NCAA is going to chop down on that kind of stuff, but he, he did talk about it quite a bit and he kind of, he had a breakdown and I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think there were only like 10 football players that made what you would call significant money. 
And then like out of the, out of the total athletics department, I think the average NIL deal was like four or $500. So it wasn't significant money, at least on UC's scale. I, I think it's going mean, to be that interesting. About right. It seems like, it seems like with these other universities that are really leveraging NIL so far, Miami, I would throw them into that as well. Um, given how they're, how hard they're going at, at Cristobal, his staff, um, the recruiting class was pretty strong. The transfer portal was strong. It, it's it's organization of your boosters. It's making sure that all the big money players around your university are organized and, and essentially, you know, in the loop is how I'll put it with their coaching staff, with the administration, and, and, and making sure that they are able to properly incentivize uh, recruits to come to their university. Because again, Joe's right. It can't be formally through the university. So it's not like Cunningham's going to come out and say, look, I put together a $25 million war chest to really go after the 2024 class. It's going to be a big one. No, he, he can't say anything of the like. But what he can do is continue to have and, and maintain relationships with big money in Cincinnati. And, and maybe putting a couple, you know, very high-earning individuals uh, on the calendar and have lunch with them to really let them know about the value proposition of what you can get done here at, at, a, at a collegiate institution in the new era of, of NIL, because the reality is it does give you the ability to really incentivize and win and, and win high level talent at your university in a quick way. And prop we're probably going to see some universities. It might be Miami, might be someone else, but we're going to see someone take a giant leap very quickly because of NIL. I do think that you're going to see some new money, some new players into the fold because of organize, organized boosters um, helping and kind of working in harmony with their coaching staff to help them close on top-level recruits. Do you, do you see that happening at all, Joe? I don't think you're going to see a significant difference. I mean, this this stuff's been going on forever. In, I mean, in, Tennessee in college, for crying in out college loud. football as a whole. I mean, and you don't think that this is going to make a difference in college football landscape as a whole when you have literally. I'm reading. This is the the excerpt from from the athletics article of um, Hunter Bador and James Clawson, CEO and co-founders of Spirey Sports. They they did this in 2020. And they said they, if they four or five months ago, they were trying to raise three or four or five million dollars annually. Now their goal has been it's been so successful doing twenty five million dollars annually. And because they're they're they're, you know, they're an NIL company, they're doling out six figure packages, cars like they're literally paying. They're allowed to pay players through this entity. A hundred percent. This is going to change it. If you're a twenty four. Sorry, twenty four. I got to go lower than that. You're an 18 year old kid coming out of high school. I don't care what your background is and your first job is, is to go play college football for, for a hundred grand for 600 grand for, for 200 grand or, or come play for, and I love Lou Fickle, but I'm going to use a different example to go play for Gus, you know, to go play down at, at the dirty central Florida for nothing, right. You're going to choose Tennessee, Like you would be dumb not to do it. And this is, this is going to be a game changer. And I think it's what's going to set, you know, some of these schools apart immediately. Tennessee will probably be, if they're one of the top, being able to pay top dollar for these recruits, they're going to be, they're going to be challenging Alabama and Georgia in no time. Tennessee's you know, already for, been for dropping McDonald's bags full of cash for the past 50 years. 
I mean, all this is doing is making well, you're, you're talking, you're, you're talking, you're talking like hype. You're talking like that. It's like a hundred percent official where they're dropping six figure bags. Like you're talking like real serious sports money here. You're talking I, that it's the fact that it's legalized that you're allowed to pour gasoline onto a fire. Like there might have already been a fire, but now this is going to be a full raging firebomb on college sports. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because players deserve to be paid. But I'm just saying, like, if UC doesn't get with it, we will fall behind, especially if if there's other schools in the Big 12 that could be doing now, this. Now, let me, let me push back on that, because I think what Joe is saying, and, and he's accurate in this, there's huge bag dropping has been happening for a while now, Hummer. This is, this is legitimately not new. There's always been money around the sport. It's just coming out more in the open now. I'm simply saying that I do think the newness and sort of the legality of NIL and the fact that it's it, they don't really care if it happens out in the open anymore, I do think that that's going to it's going to see a couple of maybe dormant blue bloods come back into the fold. Like I, I do think what's happening at Miami is extremely interesting. I think that there's probably going to be other examples of that. I don't think it's going to completely disrupt the status quo of college football because the people who were previously paying under the table, hiding it, great cover up operations. You know, like Nick Saban's out here acting like it's the cleanest program in the history of programs. NIL is, is abhorrent, and what and what schools like Texas A&M are doing is is shameful. Look, we know what Alabama does to get it done. Um, I'm just saying that the the legality of it and the excitement around it, you are going to see a school or two. My prediction would be you're going to see some surprising national contenders show up very quickly because of their organization around this and maybe the the fact that it has reinvigorated a previously dominant program. I'm trying to get a good uh, metaphor here, a good, a good example of like, all right, yes, it was illegal. It's driven underground. It's still happening. There's a lot of money that's always been involved with it. But when you have an underground enterprise like that, and all of a sudden you bring it to the forefront and you legalize it, and you allow it to flourish in an environment that has structured rules, banking, and you're able to, to funnel large amounts and more people have access to participate in the system, the amount of money that gets involved quadruples. Look at like the legal, like legalized marijuana is probably a, a pretty good example of this. Everybody's, if you've ever smoked pot before, before, and you don't live in a state where it's legalized, you've, you've bought and pot illegally off of a, off of your local dealer, right? There's always been money into it. But now that it's going to be legalized, you're going to have tons of investment pouring into it, whether it's from corporations and, and uh, big, big figure people, investors who want to get involved with, with making a quick buck. Same thing's no different here. All of a sudden, you just have more people who have access to being able to give to a system to make it legal. It's going to be massive and there's going to be a market for it. I wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati wouldn't be able to, if we were to start a collective, if we wouldn't be able to raise legitimately three, four, five million dollars annually at UC to fund NIL deals. If we were to start and going around and asking some of the biggest, largest donors, say, hey, this is what our goal is. And I don't know how they make money. I don't know how Spire Sports is going to make money off this or whatever, whether it's, but either way, I, well, there's going to be a market for it and it's going to change college sports because there's going to be more money available. Here's the cool thing though. I, I think that what people are failing to realize is that what was important what was previously important will continue to be important, which is do you have a coaching staff that knows how to develop players and coach players? That's not going away either. Like I do think there's, there's programs that will figure out ways to attract higher levels of talent than previously seen. I mean, Jackson state and Dion's a great example of this. He is getting 
incredible talent. He's getting incredible awareness to that university. What can you do with it when you got when you got it? I do what I think will be a bigger challenge actually is when you have a, a team and a program like Luke Fickle's Cincinnati team that has a proven track record of results when it comes to come to UC, come to our program, we are going to develop you. I don't care what your stars are. We're gonna you're gonna get in here, get into our weight program. We're going to coach you up. We're going to find and put you in the right position to succeed and maximize your talents. But now in the new world with, with not only the NIL money, you can now, you'll potentially start seeing people and you've already seen it this year, lure very talented or up and coming talent away from it, from a university that has developed them because now they can incentivize them through that NIL growth and they can start stealing your players essentially. And so I do think that the bigger challenge for, for a university like Cincinnati, that is, it's going to be baseball. You're describing baseball. You're describing major league baseball. Yeah. You're describing the Cincinnati Reds and regardless of the actual ownership, but we're describing what small market baseball teams have gone through throughout the history of the sport. Is turning into a feeder, turning into a, a, you know, a de facto feeder, feeder for system for bigger programs. <laughs> and I think that that is actually more appealing to the likes of Alabama and other top SEC teams is like, oh, wait, wait, wait. These are more of a sure thing once they're already becoming high-level contributors in, in bigger college conferences. So I think that's another element of this whole NIL, new world order of college football that I think will, will be a challenge or could be a potential challenge for a university like Cincinnati. Here, here would be my advice for Cincinnati fans and fans of, of college football in general especially when we're in the big 12 and we actually are playing more exciting football and more exciting teams, enjoy the conference schedule, enjoy the conference championships. If they keep with, we already know the things at 14th because the conference college football playoff committee is once again, full of jokesters. They don't know what the heck they're doing. They want to keep it at 14 through 2026 because no one thinks everybody thinks they're trying to backstab each other. But it's it's remaining an invitational, and when when the big money's big money speaks, and if what you're saying in fact is indeed going to happen, it's going to be a, it's going to it's going to make the teams that make the amount of teams that make the college football playoff even smaller than what it already is. Yeah, it's it's all it's all going to be it's all going to be a wild ride. Hey, let's let's move on to our last topic here of the day, and that's the uh, the fact that Joe who we've buried here on the podcast. I'm sorry, Joe Hummer. And I talk a lot. Um, oh, no worries. I'm wrote, enjoying the conversation. You wrote your first official piece. Uh, was it your first official piece? Actually, do I have first published piece, first published piece. There's another one in process um, for the Cincy slang and website, Cincy slang called the burrow effect. Um, the burrow fly. The, I'm sorry. Yeah. The burrow fly effect. Uh, go ahead and take a moment here to explain the concept, and then we'll kind of uh, talk through the the some of the interesting hypotheticals that you laid out here. There is a very dark timeline that if you went back to 2018, you would have been through the roof, busting your pants at the seams with excitement. Joe Burrow was days away from committing to a transfer to Cincinnati before Coach O brought him down to LSU and fed him some crawfish. That's a good impression. That's pretty good. 
and uh obviously yeah, you, gotta, you gotta do this whole thing you gotta do that whole this whole thing now in that that accent <laughs> there is zero percent chance i can pull that off that that it was even incredible that i got that close on the first shot hey if brian kelly can do it i believe you can do it i'm not grinding on any 18 year old boys okay that's not my style <laughs> but and that wasn't coach o's style either so uh, Coach O convinces Joe Burrow to transfer to LSU, and uh, you know he wins he grinded the Heisman. That's <laughs> it's like the Blind Side. Ugh, gross. Uh, so so Burrow transfers to LSU, wins the Heisman, wins a national championship, leads the Bengals to a Super Bowl appearance. You know that nobody was expecting. But what if Joe Burrow comes to Cincinnati instead? It's it's a wild ride. I mean, talk talk uh, us through this ride. Well, you know, we don't want to spoil all the goods, you know, because we want you to go to cincyslangin.com, click that, click this is that true. link. But you, uh, you don't I mean, want to spoil I, I, it all. I, I appreciate the plug here, but I want you to spoil some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to. The, the, the thing is. <laughs> there's some obvious changes in the universe that happen. If Joe Burrow comes to the university of Cincinnati plays his two years here, and you sort of operate from the assumption that, look, we we've seen enough of this guy to know wherever he went, he was going to succeed wherever he went. He was going to take, he was going to elevate that, that program to a different level. But the question is how much more does he elevate them? And he certainly, I think one of the biggest things for me was this alternate reality it sort of diminishes the remarkable career that that Des Ritter was able to have at Cincinnati because he would no longer be a, a four-year starter who racks up top five wins in the history of college football and, and kind of builds the relationship that he does with this fan base. That's, that's now forever going to be special. Um, but we, we could also agree that Joe Burrow is, is a superior quarterback to Des Ritter. And so what does that do to the Bearcats those two years with Joe and does it, and, and then, you know, what, what happens next when he goes to that next level? So I think there's some, some very interesting what ifs and, and fork in the road moments that happen in terms of relationships that we build with players that we now, that we now love. And, and I mean, Des Ritter took the program to a college football playoff at versus, you know, versus that, that short-term high we would have had from Joe Burrow. Yeah. When you, when you look at Burrow as a Cincinnati Bearcat, he obviously elevates the quarterback position in 2018 and uh, 2019. And he actually gets us, you know, into that first New Year's Six game in 2018. You know, we, we do beat Memphis at home. We beat them again to uh, go to a New Year's Six game. And then we end up playing a Penn State team that really isn't, you know, what we think. And then the following year he comes back. He's a Heisman contender. The Bearcats run the gauntlet again, beat Georgia, and then he declares for the NFL draft. But, you know, without Justin Jefferson and without uh, Jamar Chase, he's not the number one pick. You know, he doesn't throw for 5,000 yards and 60 touchdowns with the wide receiver room that UC has. So, you know, that has big effects on the Bengals because Joe Burrow is not the quarterback here. You know, in my article, I 
hypothesized Joe Burrow going to the Green Bay Packers and he's sitting behind AA Ron right now. So <laughs> there's there's just a lot of crazy things that come from this. You know, the Bearcats don't sniff the college football playoff. Ben Bryant doesn't end up transferring because Cincinnati runs a more pro style offense, you know, coming straight. I think, you're, I think of you're wrong about that. I think you're wrong about I think you're wrong about the the Ben Bryant not transferring thing solely because he he transferred by from being behind Ritter and being third on the death chart at that point not even number 2 I think I think he's gone. Well, he didn't transfer. Quicker. He didn't you think so cuz he didn't transfer till 2020 and he would have been potentially so I think the he transfers I think he transfers in 2019. I think he transfers in 2019 because he's sitting there possibly behind well either him or Ritter's transferring. They're transferring yeah. in 19 when you're three. So on the you think chart. it's more like maybe Joe is saying he thinks it's more likely Desmond Ritter transfers. 100%. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's see that that's that's why we had to hash this out because that's not yeah. in there and that's massive. Ritter, mm-hmm. you know, our our Lord and Savior, uh, going to be the the latest number being retired on Nippert Stadium, or at least added to the the Ring of Honor there. Uh, I actually away. did Ooh. have it in the article that he did transfer. Maybe you skipped a couple lines, my man. <laughs> Where did you have that? It's towards the end. I, I didn't towards have him transfer. End. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if we're looking at it from like a winners and losers standpoint, I think it's very clear. The city of Cincinnati wins big time by things playing out the way they did by by reality winning the day and that's that's joe burrow actually going down to louisiana state winning his national title there essentially overshadowing like his production at lsu was so immense and the winning was so historic and the team was so all-time that it overshadowed the fact that joe burrow's physical skill set was not as impressive as as justin herbert but because of that overwhelming production, the, the historic season, he is he locks himself into that number one pick spot for the Bengals. There's no question about it. And now he's going to you know potentially have this like 15 plus year relationship with the city of Cincinnati. Whereas if he came to UC, it's more likely a two year relationship. Uh, you know, maybe a couple mid tier bowl wins, no college football playoff, and. I, lo- I loved your hypothetical where he goes off to Green Bay. And so all of a sudden, Green Bay has this natural progression from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to then Joe Burrow. And we all just you know get to hate life forever. And the Bengals, instead instead of having the 15-year run with Joe Burrow, they get stuck with, with Jalen Hurts, who's, who's so clearly overmatched in the NFL and, and not built for that league. So, yeah, City of Cincinnati wins and won by, by reality playing out. Desmond Ritter becoming one of the all-time winningest quarterbacks in NCAA history, making that magical run to the college football playoff, and Joe Burrow becoming that number one overall pick for Cincinnati and already taking them to the Super Bowl. I think there's obviously no complaints there. And the reality, no matter how how rosy your glasses are, um, it it would have not been as good had Joe Burrow actually ended up at the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a huge disappointment when he flipped at the last minute to go down to LSU because everyone was thinking, oh, this guy's going to be awesome if he comes down here and he's going to be the next great Bearcat quarterback. But little did we know, we already had him on our roster. It's pretty great. So I see where you have it in here. 
And I still, I still disagree with you. I do think Ben Bryant's the one that transferred, but he does it in 2019 a year early because he's still number three in the depth chart. Desmond Ritter stays as backup. Desmond Ritter takes over this awesome, awesome situation that we have. But you are right. He's nowhere near as beloved as he is today. I love how, as the winning. I love that personality of how Murray's like, you know what? You are, I'll concede. You did write the thing that you told me you wrote that is currently on the website that I co-own. You're right, Joe. But, but he says transfer, he says but transfer to Western, Western Kentucky University. There's no way. No way. Like, look at Ritter the way they ran the offense anyway. It was it was close to a pro-style offense as it was. He, they didn't run him as much as we thought he should. They tried to keep him in the pocket as much as they possibly could. This year, pocket but not passer, in the past. But, but I'm so saying, like, so they were trying to do it anyway, and he's. I think he's a better talent than Ben Bryant, obviously. That's why he got the job over him. And I don't think that would have changed just because Burrow's here. I think that Des Ritter was a better talent, is a better talent than Ben Bryant. So I think Ben Bryant transfers to wherever the heck he went, Central Michigan. Ben Bryant ends up back at Cincinnati is what happens. <laughs> he ends up back here in 2020, 2022. <laughs> Fellas. Either way, uh, either way, I, it was a wild ride, man. And, and, and I, I'm not going to lie. There were some there were some highs in there. We finally get that that big New Year's Six game win that we want. But man, I wouldn't trade the CFP for for the world, and I wouldn't trade this you know Super Bowl run either. So I'm glad it shook out I the agree. way it did, even though it didn't look great back in 2018. Everyone, go check it out, CincySlangin.com. Joe's going to be writing many more pieces in the future here this off season. And uh, maybe we'll get some good insights into what we're seeing at spring practice, Joe. You know, you know, you know what my favorite part about your hypothetical is, Joe. I'm gonna, I, I do got something I really, really like. I like the fact that it didn't come true because beating a, <laughs> a terrible Penn State team would mean that the only thing we have to hang our hat on is the exact same thing as that directional school in Florida, how they talk about how they beat Auburn. You know, in the in their New Year's Six, like guys, you didn't even you, you guys played a team that had like two or three losses. Like, come on. Like, no, we had to play literally the, you know, the, the, the reigning national champion and then the, the, the current national champion in back-to-back years in our New Year's Six Bowl games. So suck it, Central Florida. Did you guys uh, also notice, they'll, they'll love this, but did you notice on the uh, throwback night the other night, they had all the flags of all the schools in our conference, like on the uh, ribbon boards and central Florida's was listed in its proper alphabetical place as central Florida, not UCF, but it also said Florida tech. <laughs> I missed that detail. Right in the heart. I missed that detail on that. That's fantastic. Just, uh, I loved it. How do I get a? I'll, you know what? I would wear a Florida Tech shirt. <laughs> so I, no, whatever. I wouldn't. <laughs> All right, gents. Well, let's leave it whatever. there. I want everybody to go to CincySlanga.com. Check out that article by Joe. Um, we'll hang in there, fellas. That was a good talk, and maybe maybe a dark, depressing talk about the basketball team. But the reality is, um, this is the start of our relationship with West Miller. This is not something that's. Uh, a short-term adventure. So there's many more interesting developments to come, you know, regardless Before of how out, Kimmer, I got one question for you. Sure. You're wearing the sunglasses. You look like you're ready to go racing. 
when do we, when do we kick off Formula One season? When when do we Jesse? When do we kick off Formula One season? If anybody's sticking around here. Well, we're going to be, you know, we'll talk in, we'll talk Formula One as it feels right. Like every race doesn't necessarily justify a conversation. Some are more interesting than others. I did, I did get a commitment from a special guest to join us occasionally for some Formula One talk after maybe some big moments during the season. So my promise to our listeners is that it's going to be at the very end of episodes that you can easily skip so that you are not forced to listen to Formula One coverage from two really random idiots You're forced. Cincinnati and New York city. I promise you that Hammer may say otherwise, but I make that promise to you as the person who edits this podcast without further ado, this podcast has already gone on for too long. Joe, thank you for hopping on with us tonight. Thank you also for writing for the, for the website. Um, lovely takes as always and Hummer Godspeed to you, buddy. This is going to be a wild ride here. The next, uh, next couple days, next couple weeks, next couple months, next uh, 18 years. Good luck to you, sir. We love you. Much love. Much love to Julia as well, uh, or Dr. Hummer, as as we've come to know her. And uh, yeah, let's leave it there, guys. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats.